0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: We welcome you to Butt Into It, where we talk technology, computers, the internet, uh, gadgets, trips to Mars, all of the good stuff. Uh, tonight on the show, um, you are in the warm embrace of Cassie. How are you? Don't
2: get too close. Don't get
1: too close. (laughs) I
2: just like the technological divide rather than actually having to touch someone. But when robots get to that level, perhaps we can talk about it.
1: Indeed. And myself, Warren, um, we'll be taking you through until uh, eight when uh, Anthony Carew swings by and plays some tunes for us. Um, if you are interested in startups and you've got um, some of them in your life, or on your phone, um, around the place, uh, you may have come across um, one of Melbourne's, um, uh, I guess, greatest um, recent stories, uh, that startup show, um, which uh, kicked off in 2015 at... Um, oh, what's that, um, the name of that tavern that was um, near Spencer Street there?
2: I think it was the Seville, was it?
1: Oh, the Savoy Tavern. The
2: Savoy. Um, I, it did launch on, the show launched on BitTorrent originally, I believe. Right. So that takes me back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, they'll be swinging by um, in a little while. Uh, Anna Reeves will be dropping in to talk about the reboot and the second season of that startup show. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, Also, continuing with our um, sort of screeny, filmy um, vibe, um, there's been a a great new um, VR cinema that's opened up um, in the inner north. Um, They've got a great program uh, coming up uh, as well. If you want to, uh, I guess, get out of your lounge room and um, go and be in company with um, people also looking at VR, um, which is a new kind of experience, I guess, Um, they'll be having a chat with us in just a moment as well. But um, before we go there, there is a bit of news going on. Um, I think one of the interesting things at the moment is the uh, brouhaha around my health. Um, it's, it's interesting in that um, it's one of those... Sort of well, a government initiative. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to say we we need to kind of be sharing data in in these ways. And um, it's kind of like um, it's not dark patterns, but if you don't if you don't do something about it, you're opted in uh, within three months.
2: We've talked about something similar before with Health Engine, which mm. was where you could opt in for GP services, sharing yeah. information with uh, lawyers or um, insurance companies. Mm.
1: And we we had your little hacks and workarounds. Yeah,
2: but I was like, oh, I'm still going to use the app. With my health record, I have to admit that a lot of people have been sharing different things and how you can opt out or whether you should opt out, but it has been a little much for me to take in. So what's the situation?
1: What's the situation? Well... It's all about um, better services for Australians. So um, the idea that um, if you I don't know if you want to get a scan on that like mole on your ankle or something like that um, that without you having to kind of transport your records everywhere and email things around, it's just um, available and people can kind of log in. So it might be a GP, it might be um, a cancer specialist, it might be all of these people and. I think that the intent is um, okay. The execution, as quite often is the case, is where it's starting to fall down. Um, So this window has opened up. You've got until um, October to opt out if you don't want your record um, on file and accessible to um, a whole host of uh, health professionals and other people involved in service provision. Um, But in testing, um, they didn't find um, the kind of opt-out rates that they're starting to see now um, and predictions of up to 10% of people opting out are um uh coming true. Um I think one of the uh well yeah, I think one of the interesting things in particular is um blind people um and vision impaired people aren't um having the opportunity to opt out at the moment. The the actual site itself um is letting people down uh, in a terrible way. Um a lot of the um screen readers um that um people work with don't work on this site. Um and Vision Australia has come out and said that um vision impaired do uh, need a lot better service. Um, Uh, On this, but yeah, there's um, there is a brouhaha. AMA president Karen Phelps um, has said that the government needs to extend the opt-out period and potentially redraft legislation um, to remove the ability um, for the body running the scheme to hand over the information to authorities. So. Interesting. It's kind of, uh, you feel like all of these conversations should have been had a long time ago and maybe they were in sort of, you know, behind closed doors, but now it's just kind of a, a messy kind of situation.
2: I mean, this is from the government, the same people that brought to you the census. So, if you don't remember that nightmare of what that was to complete... Mm. Um, Maybe not so
1: surprising. <laughs> maybe not so surprising. Um, yeah. Well. Anyway, there. Maybe I'll. Um, maybe I'll tweet this out as well. There is a, a, a good thing about um, how to opt out, um, or I could even just like. I don't know I'll talk you through it just quickly now um, yeah it takes it supposedly takes about three minutes to opt out but um, like, I, I guess with a lot of services at this level it's a little bit harder than you think um, so there is a, a my health record website you go there um, you kick the blue button um, opt out now go through a series of steps you have to choose who you're opting out um, yourself or, or other people as well um, and you need some ID to kind of do that but um, yeah we'll, we'll tweet that out so if you want to get on top of it you can Um Another um, large initiative that's in a bit of trouble is, um, well, NBN. There's been chats about, um, is it actually worth anything?
2: Yes. So, the NBN chairman, Ziggy um uh, who was the former CEO of Telstra, uh, has come out and said that there are no plans um, to write down the taxpayers' investment into the $49 billion project that the NBN has mm. been to Australians. Um, If you are not finance savvy like me and needed to look up what write down meant, Mm. uh, it is to reduce the estimated value Mm. of an asset. So uh, previously we've been told that- um, Haven't we all been
1: writing it down for like the past five years? Isn't that what we're doing?
2: Uh, I just thought that was, you know, bagging or roasting the NBN. No. so the valuation of what they've actually looked at the project, they've taken it to be once the whole network has been completed and mm. business is operating um, as they have predicted. However, global ratings agency Standard and Poor came out last Wednesday, so a week ago, and said the issue we're going to face now is that 5G mobile mobile services could surpass NBN in Australian households, therefore making NBN a last resort type option. Um, and because it's taken so long to roll out and actually get up and running, they're saying that the predicted take up of between 73 and 75% by 2021 will be difficult to achieve, which means that when the government did this whole project, um, because it is taxpayer funded, mm. which is something that our hard earned dollars go into, and the mm. government can decide where to put it so we could finance fantastic new startups. Mm. Or we put a lot of money into the NBN, mm-hmm. and um, it, we were told, oh, it'll pay off though. It'll be fine because everyone will be using it by this date and therefore. Foster innovation. Yeah, and, and, and we'll and make the money back and it'll be fine. And now people are starting. Well, I mean, we have been worried for a while, but having a you know global ratings agency come out and say this, um, it's a little bit worrying. And there's there's concerns that you know that the the MBN should lower the cost that they're charging to wholesale writers mm-hmm. like Telstra and Optus. But mm. then if they lower the cost, they'll make less money back and. Mm. Um, There's a lot of uh, different, yeah, takes on this. So I would encourage anyone with a little bit more financial savvy than me to look it up. But basically what people are worrying about is that we've always seen Australia as being so big and vast Mm. and remote. And so NBN would be the only way to connect people. But as we're getting advances in mobile technology... Mm. And faster speeds than you can get on the MBN, mm. and at cheaper prices, um, maybe there will be a flip the other way. You know, mm. if we can get mobile networks all over the country, why do we need this expensive rollout? So... Exactly. Be interesting to see how that continues to unfold. <laughs>
1: well, we like a project, you know. We like to we like to hit up the hardware stores on the weekend and, 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 and make stuff like this. Um, maybe it will be really small robots um, that will be carrying Wi-Fi signals for us. Um, Cass, I, I noticed that um, some of the latest robots coming out of N- MIT are small enough to float indefinitely in the air. Um, what do you know about this one? Do you like the idea of um, little tiny robots floating around?
2: Well, these... You know, I love robots. Mm. (laughs) Um, I'm okay with them taking over my entire body. And the fantastic thing about these, uh, the latest robots that have come out of MIT are as small as a human cell. So invisible to the naked eye, very exciting. Um, They are as small as the biggest human cell though, which is the egg cell or Mm -hmm. ovum, but still quite small. Um, And it's been achieved by attaching 2D electronics to colloids um, so the size is one billion to one millionth of a metre. Wow. Um, these robots are self-powered, so you don't need battery. They convert light uh, into a small electrical charge that can keep the devices onboard environmental sensors running while storing onboard information. Um, so the plans for these are to be sent into hard-to-reach environments mm-hmm. um, for monitoring, so pipelines and also the human body. Um, and it's really interesting to see what can um, what can come from this because at the moment you can send it through one end and retrieve it through at the other. Mm-hmm. If things like this can progress, we might get to a stage where colonoscopies are not as bad um, yeah. when you know you can actually just swallow things or mm-hmm. um, you can go around the whole human body. So it's exciting to see how it progresses, and especially if you. Um, You know, if you think about the swarm Mm. of different tiny robots that are actually creating different networks and doing things, it's exciting to see what could happen. But also really scary if you want to think about it in that way.
1: I'm not sure I like the idea of them in my bloodstream and potentially like breaking down when they're supposed to be doing something and just kind of like, you know...
2: I don't know clogging up your left ventricle I mean I don't like wearing fitness trackers because mm. I get a rash <laughs> yeah um, and they're like take it off for sleeping but I want to mm. measure my sleep but if mm-hmm. they were just in my bloodstream or in my body yeah. no rash measuring everything yeah just a rash on the inside that's fine
1: amazing Um, Something else that is uh, also a little rash is the um, assassination market for Donald Trump on um, Ethereum. Um, There's a new protocol um, out uh, open source, um, or it's been created by the Forecast Foundation. um, It's the open source Augur protocol, uh, which was launched um, just a few weeks ago on July 9th promised a revolution in the world of prediction markets. Um, So there's a a lot of, I guess, um, interesting outputs for something like that. Um, But sure enough, as soon as someone has a great idea, someone also has a a stupid idea. Um, So, um, yeah, Um, if you um, use Ethereum um, or um, are are interested in this, there has been a bit of um, talk floating around um, about it. it started on July 23.
2: So basically from- Two days ago. From what I can see, it's so you can bet on real world events, which yes. you kind of already can do through other, yeah. um, through other means. A lot of betting things in Australia, for example, have other options like world events if you're not into mm-hmm. races or whatever. But mm-hmm. what makes this different, I think, is that it's decentralized.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true.
2: Um, so, so ideas, yeah.
1: ideas like this are, are kind of easier to, to um, take off. So yeah, there were um, online marketplaces that were created to crowdfund the deaths of um, Obama and uh, Ben Bernanke um, with Bitcoin. Um, so it's just a, it's just really a bet rather than kind of actual campaigns and, and so forth. But um, I don't know. I feel like we have got better things to do with our time. I mean, let's just vote the guy out or impeach him.
2: Like, I, I think it's kind of worrying. I mean. To the extent that this could go because really what you're doing is you, you're technically putting a bounty on someone if you put enough money into yeah. it that you could get paid out mm-hmm. to commit a crime.
1: Yeah, this is what um, happened with Tupac and Biggie. I've seen the doco. Someone <laughs> just said the wrong thing at the party. It got out of control.
2: The blockchain was not around at that time.
1: No, no, no. But someone's like... Yeah, anyway, we can we can, we can, can catch up on this a l- little bit later. Uh, if you like... The combination of technology and business, um, startups are an interesting space and one place that's covering that uh, much better than other places is That Startup Show. Um, It started in Melbourne back in 2015 and uh, continues in 2018 with the second series. Uh, We're now joined in studio by Ahmed Salama and Anna Reeves, um, two of the people behind That Startup Show. Um, Thanks for coming in, folks.
0: Thanks
1: Thanks, thanks for having having us Yeah, again. TV, like um, TV is not really TV anymore. It's kind of across all different kinds of platforms. And when you kind of say like we're working on a show, it's it's not just a show, is it really? Like how do you think about that startup show? Like what is it to you guys?
0: Um, it's a bit of a combination now. It's a live event experience, um, mm. watching the experience of how you put together uh, a TV show. So it's the audience gets to actually see um, the crew at work. It's a bit of a studio audience experience. So it's also a networking event. So we have some pre-show activity. Mm. People can use it as a networking event and meet each other and that sort of thing. Um, and it operates as a really great opportunity to, yeah, a connecting and a community opportunity as well. So that's part of the live experience, of obviously. Mm. And then it's got its whole life cycle, of course, afterwards as we get it onto not TV.
1: <laughs> so I kind of imagine you're kind of like... Um, um sort of moving around, sometimes you're in front of the camera, sometimes you're behind it. Ahmed, like, do you enjoy kind of working the room or?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, I think um, I enjoy making the show. I like seeing the end result. Like mm. we, we always talk about this is a show that we made that we would want to watch ourselves. Mm. So that's kind of the end result for us is like, okay, will this be something we want to watch and let's do whatever the heck it you know takes to, to do it. So um,
1: that's been our journey so far. And what kind of changes did you make from, say, 2015 to, to now to kind of keep that watchability for, for the two of you?
0: Um, for a start, it's in, actually in an innovation hub. So it mm. is in um, one of Victoria's biggest innovation hubs. It's That, that just launched. So we, our first episode premiere was the same night of the launch of the space, the goods shed. So mm. that has um, all types of industries. We've got Stone and Chalk FinTech, we've got SproutX from AgTech, we've got MedTech, we've got all types of different start, you know, Startmate with a whole cohorts of different types of companies, space tech. Uh, so many of us in the same location and, you know, that sort of collision economy, We, you know, that kind of opportunity and that synergy of meeting people. And then, of course, they've got this TV show in the middle of all of that, which is something very unusual. Mm. Um, but we wanted to be in a location that um, where our people were, and where people could actually, you know, we, we could interact, you know, all the time with with startups and startup culture because that's what we're about, mm. and that was really critical. So that's a big shift. And also, the pub that we started in got knocked down. That's true. <laughs> the good old Savoy Tavern um got demolished, so we we need need to look for a new home so that was a, a fortuitous um journey that we went on to find this this new location
1: Maybe a little bit nicer now. I kind of imagine, like, the Savoy... I, I walk past a lot and I remember it when it was kind of derelict for quite a long time. But, you know, I imagine you don't really have dartboards and kind of, like... <laughs>
0: we tried to keep a bit of the feel, I guess.
1: <laughs> we kept a brick from a brick. demolition. We've got so. a,
0: the last brick. It's,
3: uh, it's at the office.
0: Yeah, we got it, we got it.
3: We pat it sometimes.
0: <laughs> for
2: those who are unfamiliar with the show, it seems to be a lot of different things, like it's a, um, a moment in time of our current startup ecosystem, um, but there's also advice and guides on how to get your startup running and um, how to actually move forward with it. What are some of the things that you've uncovered uh, throughout the history of the show, but especially in the taping of, of this season?
0: Um, I think the biggest thing is that it's an opportunity for people to to get to know each other through the experience of the show. That is is one huge thing that continues to be... um replayed back to us all the time people that are on it on it or in it or there um sharing that experience and getting to know each other and things that have followed on from that um for example um kara swisher who was on our first episode someone from the u.s is very adept in the um silicon valley ecosystem being very pleasantly surprised that we actually have an incredible um community here uh in australia and there's a lot of amazing things happening so that is definitely something we um we seek to do is to is, is to bring you know we are bringing guests from a uh, different part that's a big change from the original um season that we've got as we've got additional funding we've been able to now bring over some interesting people and mix them with other people mm. so that they can actually start to get co- opportunities out of that and collaborations out of that
1: Mm.
2: And how do you bridge uh, the competing sort of atmospheres of having a meet up and also, you know, filming a, a TV show? I assume that would be something that is a little bit tricky to juggle. Um, yes, yes, it uh, is.
3: I think for the most part, this, like the startup community is very open and welcoming, and there's a rich history, as you know, like Apple started in a garage and. Um, it's very venue agnostic. Like it doesn't matter where you are. It's about the ideas and the people coming together. So whether you're in a garage or a co-working space, like where we are, um, people are there, be, you know, to connect with each other, pitch to each other ideas, and that doesn't change. Yeah. You know?
0: And we also have the audience is is one of the characters on the show. That's how we see it as well. And we have a an exhibit that actually takes place. Like last week, we had some um, VR artists on. They had their own exhibition themselves. We have a live correspondent there. That's sort of the bridge between the two worlds. We had some kid coders from Moonhack, and yay, they smashed their world record, which is really <laughs> cool. Um, so that was the world record for the most number of kids coding at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so they beat that on on Friday. So they were there were some kids doing that, um, and that was a live cross. So that that's how we bridge those two worlds, basically in the room.
1: And you've got a, a, I guess, a new uh, new team in front of the camera as well, and some new faces. What's what's going on there?
0: Oh, we absolutely love our hosts, our new hosts. Um, mm. So Ray Johnston, um, he's the tech editor of Gizmodo, a mm. perfect fit um, for the show, and also Ben Law, who's also equally, um, his you know, his own personality adds mm. another depth and, you know, the sort of quirkiness as well. Mm. Um, we joke around with Ray and saying she, she's got the, the geeks and we've got the nerds and together mm. they're kind of like um, exploring each other's universes with this show as well. So, yeah, it's a bit of cross, cross-pollination,
1: I think. Did they have, like, because I, I was surprised, I, I guess surprised at um, Ben Law, like, uh, he's great and, like, love his stuff to bits, but I didn't see him, like, as a natural fit. Like, did it work straight away? Like, yeah, um,
0: we did have we worked with Ben in the past. We 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 do in between the seasons. We've done a lot of coverage at tech events, mm. um, just being on the floor and you know being amongst the grassroots, sort of finding out what's going on in this, in, in the ecosystem. And Ben did um, a live stream with us, um, and he was one of the hosts for that. Mm. And I saw him. Um, I didn't think either he was a natural. Uh, his world was geeky, mm. but he does. He's A secret geek, so Mm. he has a lot of knowledge around that, and he's also a very Mm. critical thinker Mm -hmm. as well. So he's got a bit of sharp, sort of um, edges to him, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what we liked. And I think when we put Ray and Ben together in the same room, they kind of just started bouncing off each other, and went, "Okay, yeah, that works." Yeah, (laughs) they're
3: they're really great. And 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 also four years ago when we started, this technology was like Instagram was a photo sharing app. Mm. It's no longer a photo sharing app. It's Mm. a social app that has a lot of implications on society and, and how we interact with each other. So we no longer think of these things as technology. We have mm. to add the social mm. commentary on it. And I think that's where Ben kind of um, shines. He That's its kind of field of expertise.
1: Hmm. It's interesting. I was reading some of the notes about how you think about um, technology now and um, with things like Cambridge Analytica and um, um, other incidences of people kind of losing their innocence about technology. Do, do you guys see it? any differently as well?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the very, from the beginning, there was this sort of, you know, springness to it all, it was all so new. And it was like the startup world was opening up so many possibilities in terms of what it allowed biz- people to think about business. And then we had what was called the techening uh, in in mm-hmm. my view, which is the real sort of soul searching. Things aren't what we, what we thought they were, you know, those things, the things that Google, you know, um, Google potentially became evil, you know. It was mm. like, you know, but that's a good thing because that's what happens. That's a life cycle of of a lot of, of companies. You know, they do grow so massive. Mm. Um, I think the difference is that, you know, some companies now are bigger than countries and so they, their economic power is so massive and they don't realise they actually now, people expect them to behave a little bit more responsibly and mm. actually, you know, contribute to the communities they are in not just extract mm. from those communities um so that's a big theme definitely in in this season
3: yeah and and, and literally the founders are growing up as well so mm. when they founded these companies they were in their 20s they're now in their 30s they're, they're like fully grown men right like a and, definitely and, looks and, like a dad like well, he's kind of losing you know, hair and yeah, you know. yeah, yeah yeah i mean the ones responsible for all the shit right now are men but um Yeah, like there needs to be an element of responsibility. Um, Mm -hmm. We can't just go, oh, you know, that's just Mark, you know? Like, no, there's certain questions we need to answer together and every founder out there needs to kind of uh, uh, answer that question. What am am I contributing to the world? So that's one of the things we look at.
2: Honing back into founders that may have a much smaller area of concern at the moment who one day might make it big bigger than country size but right now are in smaller teams i heard something about you looking for a uni brew um and yeah. <laughs> i was wondering if you could there's a fantastic visual on the website but uh just for our radio listeners uh, you can imagine
0: anything along with that. So, did you want to explain that a explain little bit? Explain the Uniru. Yes, the Uniru is a point of contention. Um, <laughs> no, the Uniru is um, playing on that idea of uh, a unicorn company is obviously um, a company that you know has a billion dollar valuation. That's part of startup culture, and you know the the, the documentary Silicon Valley, the show. Mm. Um, we call it a documentary. <laughs> um, yeah, it it obviously that's part of that folklore. And I suppose the Australian twist on it is, you know, uh, the kangaroo. Um, but it's also a bit of a lighthearted look at, at the whole of that that um, arena, because it's not, not every, com- not every um, business in the next 20 years has to be a unicorn, um, but they have to be special. You know, there's gotta be something that drives that person, that founder out there. And as long as that's doing that for them and they are contributing what they wanna contribute you know there is this real sort of you know myth about you know you the success story and why you have to be a billion dollar company well that's actually not necessarily true you
2: know i heard it was better to be a cockroach <laughs> and just <Yeah>. survive everything <laughs> that was thrown at you survive nuclear whatever than um than being a unicorn that fades out of existence exactly so
0: exactly there's some for some reason the animals are, are just this repeat themes that come through in startup land so yeah. uh, i don't know why they come up with new ones all the time but and, I th- and I
3: and I think unicorns have been associated with Silicon Valley, and in Australia we've got a very different culture. Mm. So it's important for us to go. No, hang on a minute. We we are not Silicon Valley. We've got. Uh, we need to celebrate our diversity. We need to celebrate um, who we are as Australians. So um, you know, stick a unicorn horn on a kangaroo, and you've got a uniroo,
0: got uni-roo. or a kangacorn.
2: I like the idea of having someone in your pouch because it's as the startups grow, they can take other people along with them, and yeah. and that's <laughs> kind of nice and warm. But um, you actually had the opportunity for people to pitch and get involved with the show. Um, how did that process end up?
0: Well, we put out a call out, and that, and we still have it ongoing. So we like um, to keep that fairly open. We don't like to fully cast ahead of ourselves because we like hearing as people hear more about the show it's always great to to cast to the theme of the show so that's an ongoing call out and we'll keep searching and you know asking people to come forward and and encouraging them to come forward and we do look for a wide variety of of founders people that are in different um industries or, or they have different backgrounds and that sort of thing so they can apply anytime and that's ongoing right to the end of the season Um, And we're also doing some audition nights as well. We've got some coming up in the next couple of weeks as well just to um, get get a little bit more awareness of... Of coming forward and people who might be a bit shy trying to push them a bit forward Um, but we've definitely had phenomenal a response initially so we had over 60 startups within the first week apply and they've still keep applying and then we also hear through networks and people as well so we we tend to cast around um the theme of the episode particularly so that's what we try to match it with the expertise and so therefore you know there's an opportunity for you know those people to meet one another and who knows that person might end up on the other person's advisory board or you know that's that's the idea behind that
2: any any particular episodes
0: you're especially searching for right now that you want to do a bit of a shout out for um oh there's so many well next week's is this this week's um we've got a um sort of around finance and fintech related startups next week's it's body tech so it's things related to um medical um you know Biotech, you know anything mm. to do with how it affects the body, technology in the body.
1: I are you know, interested in the sex tech show? Like se- we have got an bio. episode on
0: that. That's that's the Great. the late night one, the taboo tech. Um, so idea. that might might uh, that might happen later, that after hours, because <laughs> mm. that's very popular right now. There's a lot of vice tech out there at the moment. So yeah,
2: if people are interested and want to get more information as well as tickets which are in hot demand where
0: can they head they can certainly head to our website that's startupshow.tv, um and we're quite happy to offer any listeners out there um some season passes um so if you want to um yeah, throw a couple of season passes out there our first people to contact you we can we can certainly um have them subscribers subscribers yes mm. um so we're definitely happy for that just that's go to great. our website
1: Fantastic. Well, um, thanks both of you coming in. Um, looking forward to where the season goes and um, and what pops up. And um, yeah, um, thanks once again for coming by. It's good to good to see you guys again.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us. It's been a while, but you know it's great to be back back on the back on air, back online.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, thank you. Thanks.
0: Guys. Thank you.
1: Hey, if um, if you don't like the cold, uh, like I don't like the cold, um, you might be watching some movies, catching up on Netflix or what have you at the moment. Um, a good way that you can go and do that is to head on down to the virtual reality cinema, um, uh, I think in Collingwood, and uh, the founders and uh, brains behind it, Mike and Josh, are in the studio with us now. Um, thanks for coming along, guys. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. Um, are, you, are you first and foremost, like, film nerds or um is the technology where you come to it what's what's the go
4: yeah fil- uh, yeah basically the storytelling the filmmaking and um yeah new mediums essentially is has drawn drawn us towards um yeah a new way of making um films and tech nerds as well
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> wonderful all right you're in that's fine. Um, so, what, what's involved in in getting a VR cinema going? And like, it's an interesting idea. Most people think of it as a something you do on your couch, or you know. Yeah,
4: yeah. It was actually born out of a uh, a festival that, that we ran, and um, we essentially built a custom playback system. But we did workshops for about uh, three months in the in the uh, lead up to the festival um, a few years back, and we had eleven works that were made and then uh, eight that were submitted. Um, and, it, and it was great, it was amazing. Um, and essentially we'd just been um, basically screening at various places as sort of pop-ups. And um, when we ran the festival, um, it was an amazing response. Everyone from Disney came down to, um, to Creative Victoria and some of the, the films that were made were screening at Acme a, a month later. Yeah,
5: and it was really t- exciting because as we were just talking to your previous guests before they came on air, um, one of the limitations to VR at this point has really been that it's quite a solitary pursuit, mm. whereas in this thing, it's really a magic moment. They all watch a film together, they take the headsets off, they look at each other, they look at each other in the eye and they can immediately talk about what they just experienced, which is mm. really bringing that communal cinema feel to VR.
1: That makes so much sense when you think about it that way.
2: I guess uh, what I find really interesting, well, the whole thing's interesting, but um, when you're watching a traditional cinema experience, even though you could be distracted by other things, um, the cinema's made for you to look at the one place and for everyone to have a slightly similar experience. With VR, it's nature of it is that everyone can have a different experience through it. So um, it's something Generally more akin to a you know presentation or a walkthrough than a traditional sit down thing uh, how how do you combine those those things? I assume when people take off their helmets um, or their goggles there there's different things that they've picked up on.
4: yeah, yeah, exactly uh, and I think it's that's right it's because it is uh, a medium that, that you know essentially. You, know, you do have but um, you know a tv strapped to your head and you can't see anything <laughs> you are quite you know as i say immersed in it um so the actual the frame isn't in front of you, you can actually you know have a real look at look at the experience. So, um, and there's a couple approaches to that. Like we've got a 360 program, but also there's a um, sort of group VR program where you've actually got the audience, um, and we can take a photo of, of everyone who's in the audience, and they can actually identify each other within um, within the film, uh, and then they're sort of choreographed to, uh, around the story. Um, so it's sort of it's it's a very VR, VR idea VR idea that. You know, really, it draws a lot of influence from theatre and, and, and so storytelling. Yeah, that's a great parallel, actually. Um,
5: and it's something that VR directors are starting to realise as they go on is that they need to direct VR as if they are directing to theatre. Because you can still uh, guide where the audience views. And for a narrative, most of the time, you do want to do that. You just have to be a bit more subtle about it and use a few different ways, like using audio and using other um, kind of visual cues to kind of gently prompt them to follow the story as opposed to the story's right in front of you, you must Mm -hmm. look at it
4: yeah and and with and that's right like with cinema actors cinema actors often draw the audience into the screen where of course theater actors project um to grab the audience's attention um and, and we've really been exploring these these ideas of um new new medium and storytelling within there and, and there's a project that um josh and um another guy simon and i have been working on over the last three months which is essentially um, you know looking at thinking outside the headset mm-hmm. and taking um, VR um, you know outside of the headset and onto the walls as a projection VR um, experience um, but using the same components to produce uh, the VR material and a big component of that has been um, the o- the audio with that um, which is josh Josh's uh, speciality
5: <laughs> yeah, so we're we're just really interested in. Like you know when you walk into a gallery and it's a social event you're there with your friends mm-hmm. and you look and look at a painting together and then you might see one over there and you might walk over there together and have a chat while you do it we're interested in if you can take vr which i said has been quite a solitary thing into an environment like that so if you know there's an actor on the left wall that you walk across to and you can hear what they're saying then you might hear another actor behind you but you can't really hear them so you physically have to go and walk across to them to engage in their part of the story Mm. and so the possibilities of that medium it's just something we're really interested in so Mike is running uh, this festival in September called the Digital Underground where we're just making a call out kind of as an introduction for that kind of medium to get um, filmmakers and artists in to just see this just to spark some ideas and And I think this first event will be really quite an introduction to this tech, but hopefully we'll spark some ideas and go, you know, I've got a story that I think could be told in this quite uh, unique medium.
2: And it would be interesting as well to see how different people or different demographics respond um, to different elements of the story because there's different things that grab our attention but you know obviously even at different heights you might hear things differently or a child might have a different experience or you know people who are looking for a different emotional connection with the characters might drift off somewhere else so um, I didn't even think about how audio would play such a big role Um, and you have positional Audio? Is that the. Absolutely, term yeah. yeah. So at the
5: moment, we've got eight speakers all around the room that are very positional. So you can, uh, as the filmmaker, really guide where you want that audio to come from.
2: And that's an extremely different experience that most people would associate, I think, with um, home usage or home consumption of media, where although you can have a setup, it's normally headphones, laptop, or phone screen, and you are quite isolated. And I'd always imagine VR to be even more isolating. So it's fantastic what you guys are bringing to the scene.
1: Yeah. Uh, how did you go about uh, setting up the cinema? Like, it's quite, it seems like a, quite a fun project to go, let's put a cinema here. Um, what does designing a VR cinema where most of it's happening inside the goggles mean? Uh,
4: the, core, the core part of it is, uh, and of course you don't have the, the tiered chairs and so mm. on, it's, it's a very sort of flat... Um, seated mm-hmm. experience. So, um, we we make it quite visual as well. When when you when you first walk in, it's it's a uh, it's a small, a um, uh, medium-sized shop front um, down on Johnson Street. And we've got twelve uh, VR seats. Um, so it's quite an intimate, um, um, you know, sort of cinema experience. Um, and um, and then often, and, and we've designed it around that idea of short film festivals. So you come in, you'll see a session of, um, you know, four to five works. So they're all back-to-back, essentially, uh, and there's different programs uh, for that. Um, and, and it's really interesting because... Um, you know, people see the same thing, and you know, and often people will, you know, and you can spark up a conversation, you know, quite easily afterwards, and you know, people have quite a lot to say, and and you know, and the audience engages with each other quite a bit, as well from there. So I think that's what's interesting, about it, and and that of course always comes with, you know, smaller intimate, you know, you know experiences, you know, and of course when you go to a large cinema, you know, there's a couple hundred people, it's hard to chat to.
5: <laughs> and also a comfortable environment. I think that's. I think a lot of people first experience VR in a shopping centre or someone thrusting a headset at them. Whereas in this, you know, the, you can often have a drink, you can have a chat, and it does really feel like going to a little intimate film festival. So when you sit on your chair and put the headset on, you talked through it a lot of the way. So when you put on, you can actually just relax and get into it without kind of worrying if you look
1: silly because
4: everyone looks silly in VR.
1: <laughs> so you do have a, uh, a program on at the moment. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're showing at the moment. Yeah, so
4: we've got a, we've got a few programs on at the moment. So some of the films uh, range, we've got a, a range of film screening from um, some narratives. Um, there's, there's one which is a bit of a uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels style film, the Invisible Man. There's um, um, a uh, natural history Um, uh, doco that was shot in Africa, which is about uh, the great migration. Uh, We've got some music works. We have, um, um, yeah, a good range of docos and and, and shorts, essentially. Uh, And often we'll run um, spotlights um, on VR directors. So we did one uh, recently um, on on Lester Francis, who did the uh, Roan uh, film. Um, and, um, and a few other films that he did. So it was essentially four or five of his works. Um, and, um, yeah, so, yeah, we do a range of things.
1: Mm. Um, be great to see a tie-in with some of the food traders down there as well, where um, there's a great place in Northcote where you can kind of, like, sit at the bar and get the pizza from next door, kind of, like, delivered to it as well. Um, yeah, I could, I could see myself, like, watching two or three films, especially in winter.
2: I thought you were talking about virtual food and I'm like, "Mm, Warren, I don't like where this is going.
1: (laughs) I kind of do like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, you know, when you're at gold class and you like push the button and you're like, oh, I really need a burger. There's like 20 minutes to go. It's a long film.
5: Actually, I worked on a little project like that recently where it was for a a Scotch company Mm. where you would get a a glass of Scotch in front of you and you'd drink it and then you'd Mm. put on a VR headset and you'd have a look at where the Scotch came from Mm. in Scotland, this beautiful little island you'd fly in and you'd kind of see them digging the peat and Mm. you drink the scotch. It was great. So I think there's a lot of realms of possibility there.
4: Mm, I want to go to that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or you could just have some celery and VR could pretend that it was a hot dog.
4: (laughs) Amazing. But then you don't get
5: scotch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if if people want to get along and check out the VR cinema, um, where can they find out more about you guys?
4: Um, Our website. We've got a website which is essentially um, au. And um, yeah, we, we screen um, yeah Saturday, Sundays, and we have um, yeah a few spotlights that, that that screen as well, and also doing Fringe Festival this year, correct? Oh, that's right. Mm. So we, we're uh, the fest the um, the cinema's hosting uh, the Digital Underground Festival, um, which will. Um, which is essentially what we were talking about earlier. So, um, yeah, we've got uh, submissions open. Um, for that, we're also running uh, workshops uh, in the lead-up to that for people who are interested in um, uh, coming down and um, uh, looking at producing works for the um, headset VR as well as the projection um, setup.
1: up. Great. Sounds really exciting. Sounds like the uh, the place to be this year. <laughs> we hope so. Um, so we'll follow up on that one um, just uh, a few things to do on the show um, before Anthony Carew swings by um, if uh, if you are a, a uni student or, or um, at TAFE um, there is UniHack um, is on this weekend um, it's at the well being hosted by um, Monash um, wide at Monash and um, UniHack the Imagination Hackathon brings the most talented programmers, designers, thinkers and creators um, uh, into the one space. And it's for teams of up to six students Um, who've got 24 hours to design and build an idea. Um, So, yeah, the only criteria is that you're enrolled um, and you're keen. Um, So if you don't want to get outdoors this weekend um, or you're at a loose end... Uh, It's on um, Saturday and Sunday um, from 9 till 6pm in Exhibition Street uh, in the city. So um, if you just look up Unihack, it's on uh, Eventbrite. So not too hard to find. Um, You might be doing something else though, Cass. If you're not doing that, you might be running around in your Segway roller shoes. um, Would you?
2: No, because no. I fractured my ankle roller skating the one time I tried to do it, but Ooh. lead on. This sounds ridiculous.
1: Okay. So, um, Segway, um, that amazing company where the founder was killed by his own product, um, has put out um, wacky new roller shoes that will cost um, around 400 bucks. bucks. Um, so um, they're self-balancing. Uh, so the idea that you can kind of, it is kind of like a roller skate. Imagine um, a, a wheel under your shoe um, and you've kind of got this platform that um, your shoes kind of lock onto. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think good stocking filler um, if you're not too precious about where your money goes.
2: Their wheel is if you want to wheel all the time but also not fall over when you're standing. I don't know. It's, it just it, it feels like those shoes that were meant to make you lose weight, except much worse.
1: Much worse. I could kind of see these on morning TV with someone like smiling really hard as they kind of like pivot <laughs> around on on the Segway shoes. Um, I don't know. Um, won't be getting my four hundred dollars, but anyway, it's a little bit of fun. Um, I've had I've had fun tonight. It's been good to talk about um, uh, tech and screens and and film. Um, yeah,
2: it's been really exciting to see what's happening. In our local scene with mm. the startup show um, and founders there, but also to talk about exciting VR cinema. Yeah. Um, pioneers, really.
1: Yeah, I do love the idea that you can just, um, they're making stuff to encourage people to see this is the tech and this is what you can do. So it's not just a passive experience. Go down there, get ideas, and get screened like a few months later. That's great.
2: I mean, both. Both our guests have really brought experiences together that are normally isolated, like mm. TV shows or mm. being a startup or mm. VR. You're mm. normally closed off, and now you're part of a community, just like our Butt Into It listeners.
1: Maybe we need to get our listeners in next week um, or the week after. Did you
2: like that segue?
1: I did like that segue. Oh my God.
2: <laughs> We're on a roll. <laughs> Too
1: much. Okay, that's enough. Um, thanks to our guests, uh, Anna and Ahmed, and also uh, Mike and Josh. Um, thanks to you uh, for listening tonight. Um, hit us up if you have anything you want to hear on the show. Um, we've been bought into it, and we'll be back next Wednesday.
0: This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our
1: website at rrr.org.au.